I want to take this last Sunday in February and speak to the heart of the matter regarding marriage. We began this discussion uh, last Sunday, but there's some things I felt very, very strongly that the Holy Spirit wanted me to share regarding this subject. Uh, I want to say a couple of, of things as a preface to that. Number one, I want to again say to all of our uh, teenagers, high school students, for example, that are in the auditorium, this is very, very important to you. To the 1825 uh, group, uh, this is very, very important to you. As a matter of fact, I might suggest it's more important to you than if you were coming to my office for premarital counseling when normally when that happens, young uh, Young grooms-to-be and brides-to-be, they don't listen to a thing I say. <laughs> they're so in love, and then they're not going to have any problems. And um, so get it, get it now. Uh, this is very, very uh, important that you get this. The second thing I would say is that um, the song that our team did during our offering time was a very important song in regard to this message because I believe that what God calls us to in this area of marriage is really a call that, that calls us outside of our comfort zone. As a matter of fact, when I study it and I think about it, I, one of the thoughts is that's impossible. I, I can't act like that. I can't be like that. I, I, I can't do that. Uh, but he's the one who gives us courage, and he's the one who supplies the strength, and he's the one who does it through us. And so keep that in mind as we look at some of the things that we're called to in this institution that God created called uh, marriage. Uh, I want to share with you a parable that Jesus taught in the 18th chapter of Matthew as a way of getting started. And I don't want to teach on the parable, but I, I, I want to share it with you and just get you to kind of keep it in the back of your mind as we look at passages of Scripture in the second and third chapter of Colossians. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable about a king. And the king had made a decision that he was going to settle all of his financial accounts and so he brought in to see him, he brought those in to see him who owed him money. One servant that came in, the Bible says, the, the King James, I think the ESV says that he owed him 10,000 talents. The uh, New Living Translation says that he owed him millions and millions of dollars. And he demanded, the king demanded payment of this servant, but the servant was unable to pay. And so the king said, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children and all of your property, and I'll apply the proceeds to your debt. And and uh, the servant fell on his face in front of the king and began to beg him for mercy. And the king was moved in his heart for this servant. And he told the servant, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I will forgive your entire debt. Go. Just go. And so the servant left the presence of the king having millions and millions and millions in debt forgiven. 
And as he left the presence of the king, he crossed paths with a fellow servant that happened to owe him money. The Bible says it was a few thousand dollars. Immediately, he demanded payment from the second servant. The second servant was unable to repay the debt. And the Bible says the first servant, this is what it says, it grabbed him, he grabbed him by the throat and demanded payment and said, I will have you thrown in jail until your debt is satisfied, until your debt is paid. There were those who had witnessed both incidents, the servant before the king and the two servants as they negotiated together. And they were concerned about the way the first servant had treated this second servant. And they went to the king and they told him what had happened. And the king called the servant back before him. And I'm going to read you from Matthew chapter 18 exactly what the king said to the servant. You're a wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debts. At the end of the parable, Jesus says this, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, I, I want you to know that this was a parable that Jesus taught in response to Peter, the disciple Peter's question, hey, Lord, how many times should we forgive our brother? But I believe that the application for us today is a little bit different than that, though being true to God's word. What I see in this parable for us today is there was an expectation by the king that the grace that he had experienced from the king would change that servant in such a way that the same kind of grace would be extended to others, would be extended in his relationships, that the grace that he experienced vertically from the king would flow through him in such a way that it would manifest itself horizontally in his other relationships. And when that was not the case, the king got angry. So keep that in mind as we look at what God has to tell us about marriage. I want to remind you that last week we established a couple of things that are very, very important. Number one is that the most foundational thing that we can say about marriage is marriage is God's doing, that God designed marriage, that God spoke marriage into existence, that God performs marriages. No priest, no preacher, no justice of the peace, no mommy and daddy. Only God can take two and make them one. We know this because Jesus told us this in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things he said pertaining to marriage is what God has joined together, let no man separate. It's God who takes two and makes it one. Now, folks, listen. That makes this sacred to God. That makes marriage important. That makes marriage a priority. That makes marriage something that we should work on. That makes marriage something that we should invest in, that we should have a perspective on marriage that God has on marriage. It's important. It's not an afterthought. 
The second thing that we learned last week is that the most ultimate thing that you can say about marriage is marriage is for the glory of God. It is to put God's covenant, it's to put God on display. It's to put the, 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 the covenant between Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride, that was purchased by Jesus with his blood, it's to put that on display. It's your marriage is designed, its purpose is so that other people will see the covenant between Jesus and the church, and they'll see that in your marriage. It's for God's glory. Now, a verse that we didn't get to last week when we were studying in the second chapter of Genesis was the 25th verse. It follows, of course, the 24th, but it follows the 24th on purpose. And so let me read both to you. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. What in the world does that mean? We look at that in the context of God giving us his ideal, of God giving us his design for marriage. In the context of marriage... I can be free from shame for one of two reasons. The first reason is I'm perfect and I have nothing to be ashamed of. The other is that I'm imperfect, but I have no fear of being unaccepted by my spouse or I have no fear of being disapproved of by my, by my spouse. Again, again, the first way to be shame-free is to be perfect. The second way to be shame-free is based on the gracious nature of covenant love. In the first case, there's no shame because I'm flawless. In the second case, there's no shame because covenant love covers a multitude of flaws. All right, so I want you to, I want you to think about how this manifests itself, what the... What the what the uh, practical application is of this passage of Scripture. I, I enter into a relationship with my wife. It is to mirror the covenant relationship that Jesus has with the church. One of the things I know about the covenant relationship Jesus has with the church is that it's sealed by the blood of Jesus and it, it contains unconditional love from Jesus. That's the kind of love, the Greek word agape, it's the kind of love that means I'm going to love you no matter what. And the implication is if I'm going to love you no matter what, you can count on me to be here. I'm not going anywhere. It doesn't matter how you treat me. It doesn't matter how you change. I love you. That's the covenant I'm making. It's the covenant Jesus made with me. It's the covenant I'm making with you. You can count on that. You have a husband that says that to his wife and the wife believes him. The wife says, he loves me, it's unconditional, he's going to love me no matter what, and since he loves me, he's not going anywhere. For him, it's to death do us part, it's for as long as we both shall live, I can count on that no matter what, I, what happens, no matter what I do, he's going to be here. And the husband believes that about the wife, she's going to be here. 
Now, if that's true, think about the freedom that gives that husband and wife to be transparent with one another. I can be honest with her. I can share with her. I can tell her when I mess up. We can talk about my weaknesses. I can tell her how I've changed. I can, I can tell her anything. She can tell me anything. Why? He ain't going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. She loves me unconditionally. And when that kind of relationship, which is God's intent, exists in the marriage and you have a problem... You only have two options, get it worked out or be miserable, because nobody's going anywhere, because the covenant relationship is a permanent relationship. So this idea, this idea of being naked and not ashamed has everything to do with transparency. It has everything to do with, with, with a covenant love. Marriage, marriage was designed from the very beginning to display Christ in the church in that relationship. The very, the very essence, the, the, the key is the new covenant. The key in the new covenant is, listen, is that Jesus passes over our sins. He passes over the sins in his bride. He's the bridegroom. His bride is free from shame, not because the bride is perfect, but because the bride understands that from Jesus, the bridegroom, there will be no condemnation. Romans chapter 5. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. And that's why, this is, we're talking about marriage, and that's why the doctrine of justification is at the very heart of what makes a great marriage, of what makes marriage work. The doctrine of justification is that Jesus looks at me and he sees perfection. I know, it's crazy. He looks at me and he sees righteousness. And then, and then what I'm saying is that our marriages are supposed to be a picture of that. It's the doctrine of justification that takes a holy God and an unholy Dale and it, and it brings peace to the relationship. Because, look, he, he does two things for me. Number one, he pays the penalty for my sin. He's a just God. The penalty must be paid. I'm unable to pay it. So he pays it for me. And number two, he gives me his righteousness. That's the doctrine of justification. That's what takes place in an individual when they trust in Jesus to be their Savior. And that changes the relationship between God and me. And our marriages are supposed to be a a, a picture of that. So, is it possible that God is calling us to look at our flawed husband and see no flaws? (laughs) For a husband to look at his wife and see righteousness, 
that a husband would be able to look at his wife and see her as Jesus sees her. The doctrine of justification creates peace vertically in this relationship, and it creates peace horizontally in my relationship with my wife. The, the, the key to being naked and not ashamed when, in fact, we both, we all have things in our lives to be ashamed of, the key to it is experiencing and walking in the vertical grace that God gives us, that, 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 that justifying grace. And what God is calling us to do is to, is to experience that. It's real to us. It brings to our mind what God has done for us. And we experience it and we walk in it and it flows through us and it flows out of us into our marriage relationship. That's God's design and that's God's key. It, it, it leads me to a place of saying that, that marriage is based on God's grace, that marriage is meant to be based on God's grace, that it, it, it has a solid basis, that marriage relationship has a solid basis of grace. Why? Because it's by grace that Jesus bought his bride. It's by grace that Jesus sustains his bride. It's by grace that the relationship that the bride has with Jesus exists. In other words, the main point, really this is the point for today, is that since Christ's new covenant with his church is created by and sustained by blood-bought grace, therefore human marriages are meant to showcase that new covenant grace. That people are supposed to see that kind of grace in your marriage. And the way they showcase it is by resting in the experience of God's grace. That, 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 that vertical experience. They rest in that experience, and then they, 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 they let it overflow. Some have said they, they bend it toward a horizontal relationship or the marriage relationship with their spouse. So in hour by hour, this is my life as a believer, as a follower of Christ, hour by hour, really, moment by moment, I'm living in grace, and I'm experiencing that. And in my marriage, it's moment by moment, hour by hour, that I'm extending that grace to my spouse. And in, 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 in that grace, that's, that's where I, I love unconditionally. That's where I serve. That's where I care. That's where I make myself available. All of that. Now, look, I, I understand. I was studying this. I, I understand that really that is supposed to be indicative of every relationship that we have. That, that Jesus said, let your light so shine before men so that they will see your good works and give glory to the Father which is in heaven. But I want to tell you that I believe that it's especially unique in the marriage relationship. That, that the marriage relationship is designed to be a unique display of the covenant relationship that Jesus has with his bride, the church, and that it's unlike any other human relationship that you have. Because the husband and wife, they're bound together by a covenant. 
And it's the deepest and it's the closest possible relationship for a lifetime. So how do we live this out, this this vertical experience of grace that extends or is bended horizontally to our spouse? I think one of the first things that we have to do is we have to understand God's wrath. Dale, what in the world does God's wrath have to do with marriage and having the kind of marriage that people would see Jesus in it? Well, I think it's extremely important. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's a promise. In verse 5, he, he talks about stuff like covetousness and evil desires and, and impurity and sexual immorality and idolatry. And he talks about stuff like that. And in verse 6, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And I think that a deep, profound understanding and fear of God's wrath is exactly what many marriages need. And I want to explain to you why that is. Number one, without understanding God's wrath, the gospel loses its true power and its true meaning. In other words, the gospel is diluted down to some kind of mere human relational tool. And it's much, much more than that. Without without understanding uh, God's wrath, we're, we're, we're tempted to think that our wrath, that our anger against our spouse is simply too big to overcome. I'm too angry. There's nothing I can do because we don't fully understand the depth of God's wrath for us that he overcame by grace when he took my sin and nailed it on a cross. The vastness of God's wrath is the millions and millions of dollars when my anger and my wrath is the few thousand dollars. And the vastness of this wrath was overcome by grace. And this wrath, too, is overcome by grace. The very basis of the marriage relationship can be found in grace. We should never, ever forget how God removed his wrath from us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Powerful. You who were dead in your trespasses, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He took my debt and he forgave me. He took all that I had ever done wrong and he put it inside his son and nailed his son to a cross. That is grace. His last words in this passage of scripture I think are so very, very important. God set it aside. God nailed it to a cross. And we've got to make sure that we see this, this this wonderful, this, this astonishing truth that God took the record of all of my sin, all of it, 
He took the record of all of your sin, which made you a debtor to him. You owed him. Sins are offenses against God, first and foremost. We think about it as being an offense toward a, a brother or a sister or a relationship that we have, but first and foremost, it's a sin against God, and he took them all. He took all of my sins. Instead of holding them up in front of my face and using it as a warrant to hell, he put it inside of his son, and he nailed his son on a cross. That's grace. My debt to him was far greater than any debt a spouse has with another. Whose sins did he nail to the cross? Whose sins were punished on the cross? My sins. My wife's sins. Your sins. Your wife's sins. Your husband's sins. And, and whose hands were nailed to that cross? Who was punished on the cross? It was Jesus, the sinless one. It's what the Bible calls substitution. He took my place. And this has everything to do with the relationship between a husband and a wife. Because the relationship between the husband and the wife is supposed to be a picture of that relationship that was just described for you. Now, that's when I look at this and go, I can't do that. That's where I look at this and say, God, you know, call me outside of my comfort zone. Give me the power and strength to follow you. Husbands, you, you can't believe this reality too much. Wives, you can't believe this too, too strongly. What I'm talking about is this vertical reality, this vertical reality, this reality of grace, this reality of love, this reality of, uh, uh, of relationship, and how through that vertical reality, it comes in and, and it begins to mold me and shape me and it begins to change me. It's the very expectation that the king who forgave the millions and millions of dollars of debt had on the servant. It's going to change you. And, and when it changes you, it's going to outflow. It's going to flow out of you. It's going to be bent. It's going to be extended to horizontal relationships, especially the relationship of your marriage, the relationship that you have with your spouse. And it'll look a certain way. Colossians chapter 3, here's what it'll look like. I'll just read a couple of these verses. There's a whole half a chapter on it. Chapter 3 and verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You are God's chosen. You are holy. You are beloved. Put on then compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if you have a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, almost, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love. Look, I think there's so much to talk about here, but the, thing, the one thing that, that, that kind of resonates with me because it's my experience is the bearing, 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 forbearing, 
bearing. I, I, I take that to mean patience. And I put that in the context of my relationship with Jesus. And I think about that he's always been faithful. He's never not been faithful. And I think about the times in my life when I've not been faithful. He never moved an inch away. He stood right there. He was forbearing. He was patient with me. He constantly tapped me on the shoulder. Dale, I love you. Dale, I'm not going anywhere. Dale, I want to be in right relationship with you. He was forbearing. He was forbearing. He was forbearing. You think about your life. I think about my life. And I think about the vastness, the vast difference in, in my forbearing, in his forbearing, in my unfaithfulness, in my sin. And I think about, about how that works itself out in a marriage relationship, and I've come to the conclusion that, that the, the, the vastness of his forbearing with me greatly, 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 greatly exceeds any between a husband and a wife, and yet he forbore. He, for, he was forbearing. He was patient. He was there. He never left. He was faithful. He continued to call me to himself. He reminded me of his love. He revealed himself to me in all kinds of different ways. He never left. He never left. He never left. And then he tells me my marriage is to be a picture of that. Let the measure of God's grace to you in the cross of Jesus Christ be the same measure of your grace to your spouse. Look, if you're thinking to yourself, impossible, I understand that. That's what God calls us to. And if it's his, his will, it's his provision. And he will give you what you need to live that out. I, I want to say this. This is a foundational truth about marriage. It's, a found, it's, God's, it's God's perspective, it's God's design, it's what he intends for it. Now, there's a lot of marriages that are sitting here today, and you really are justified in saying, I, I understand, I hear you, Dale, but you don't know what she did. You don't know what he did, right? You, uh, I think I'm an exception to this. And, 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 um, and I understand that, but I want you to keep in mind that this teaching is a foundational principle. In, in addition to this, you, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need him teaching you and guiding you. You need to be in the word of God. You need to be active in your prayer life. You need to be worshiping God and serving God. You need relationships in your life of people who have already been where you are at that can give you counsel and give you help in all of that, all of that is part of the equation. This is just the foundation of it. And I share this with you for three reasons that, that I could think of, three that I could think of. This, this, this idea of taking the vertical and bending it in a horizontal relationship. Here's the three reasons. Number one, because there's going to be conflict based on sin and uniqueness. 
So that's a shocker, isn't it? In the marriage relationship, there's going to be conflict. Some of it will be because of sin. Some of it won't be because of sin. It's just because y'all are different. You know? She won't put the cap on the toothpaste. Conflict. <laughs> you know? I'm a morning person. She's a, she, she's, a, she's a night person. Conflict. All I'm saying is, and you already know this, there's going to be conflict. And God says, address that with grace. Address that the way I address it in our relationship together. Here's a second reason. Because the hard, rugged work of enduring and forgiving is what makes it possible for affection and love to flourish when they seem to have died. Because you take God's grace and you apply it in your relationship and what seemed hopeless has hope. Where you thought you could never come back from, you can come back from. You, you, you walk in the path that he has called you to walk and you watch him work. And a love that you thought the flame had gone out will burn brighter than it's ever burned before. There is hope. And please don't come in my office and tell me there's no hope. With God, all things are possible. God says, I got a blueprint for it. I got instructions for you. That's why I say to you today, if God revealed to you what he wants you to do, will you do it? Here's the third reason. Because God gets glory when two very different and very imperfect people forge a life of faithfulness together in the midst of all sorts of difficulties and all sorts of trials because their relationship is worked on and, and designed to be a picture of a covenant relationship Jesus has with the church that he bought with his blood. In other words... It fulfills the purpose of marriage, which is to bring God glory. All right, I spent 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer than that, to say to you this. Treat your spouse the way Jesus has treated you. I don't feel like it. I don't think that's even necessary that you feel like it. He's been faithful. He's been gracious. He's been merciful. He's been forgiving. He's been forbearing and patient. He looks upon me as righteous even though I'm not. But he looks upon me that way. And he loves me unconditionally. Treat your spouse the way Jesus has treated you, and you will be amazed at what those who witness this in your marriage will say. And that's kind of the point. Because ultimately, the, the thing that we can say about marriage is its purpose is to bring God glory. And when people see you living this out in your marriage, just point to God. That's God's design. Pray with me. 
God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-authority. I pray this morning for the marriages in this room. I pray for those who look forward to that incredible, sacred experience that you designed, that you spoke into existence, that you gifted us with. And I pray that our marriages in this church would be a beautiful picture of the covenant relationship that the bridegroom Jesus has with the bride, his church. A relationship that he bought with his blood. The perfect, sinless, faithful, all-loving Jesus. In our vertical experience with you, our vertical relationship with you, May it transform our lives and be bent toward our horizontal relationships, especially in this area of marriage. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your blueprint, your guidance. Transform us with it is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.